Greetings, fellow classic TV fans, and welcome to Retro TV Trivia. I'm your host, Pat McCormack, from the Golden Rage of TV. On today's podcast, I'm speaking with one of the most recognizable faces of classic television, Mr. Barry Livingston. Perhaps most well-known as Ernie Douglas from My Three Sons, we discuss how he survived all the pitfalls of being a child star, as well as the topic of outsmarting the typecasting curse, which never really affected him like many of his other peers. We talk about some fun inside stories, especially ones that involve his brother Stanley, co-star William Frawley, and one Lucille Ball. Barry has worked with the biggest names in the business and is still going strong. So, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the podcast, the legendary, multi-talented Barry Livingston. Barry! Yes, sir. It's true. <laughs> well, okay, if you say so, I just roll with it. Uh, legendary, eh, maybe not quite a Merlin status, but yeah, you know, it's okay. It's all good. Oh, well, you've earned that for sure. I think most people would agree. Um, they may not be aware of the multi-talented like I am. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff in my my uh, ripe old age and younger, and yeah, you know, it's that's what you got to do when you're around. You know, make the most of the thing. Most people know my three sons, obviously, but yeah, I've I've been lucky to have a long career and got a lot of things done. Well, and I've noticed music is a part of it, which we'll we'll touch on um, in a bit sure. because I'm a musician myself. And we can definitely uh-huh. definitely share some stuff in that area. But, of course, <laughs> here comes the usual, Barry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of the four sons, that ought to throw everybody. <laughs> you were my favorite. <laughs> oh, appreciate that. Thank you so much. You say that to all the sons, though. Whoever you've got on the line, I'm sure you were my favorite. Well, uh, especially the youngest. That's what I was. So, of course, I completely related to Ernie, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's always the way it went, is that whatever age group you were in, you found one of the sons that to, to identify with, you know, and that was probably one of the reasons the show lasted as long as it did. So, you know, there was something for everybody, but uh, yeah, I kind of got all the, the prototype nerds were all, were all fixated on me. Well, yeah. And I wasn't even a nerd. Well, okay. I, oh. I admit it. I'm a geek, but not a nerd. Okay. I don't yeah, know. Back <laughs> There's a difference yeah, here. Geeks. Yeah. You're an early nerd. Yes, exactly. And not to take anything away from your talented brother either, because he was great as well. But yes. I, I, I seem to recall as, you know, Ken, this was a while back, and it just always seemed that the show revolved around your character, or at least... In my mind, it did. <laughs> Whether or not the story was about me or not. Uh, no, it, yeah, they, they divvied up the storylines. We did a... Yeah, back in the early days of the show, which I'm talking probably the early 60s, you would film 40, 40 45 episodes. Uh, you know, by the end, I think we were doing 20 episodes a year. So they would, you know, divide it up. Ernie would get three episodes. Chip would get a few, uh, you know, Robbie and Katie. Um, yeah, you know, so, but we were all participants and all, you know, in the show in some some way. So, yeah. Yes, well, and again, you had quite a cast there. Um, yeah, well, you know, you can't go too far off base with Fred McMurray, is you know leading the pack, and then William Frawley in the early uh, early years as Bub, and then he was replaced by William Demarest as Uncle yes. Charlie. 
both those guys were both legendary actors, uh, you know, long, long careers already in Hollywood. So Beverly Garland kind of came and joined us. And um, yeah, you know, it was it was quite a lot of fun. It was and all the guest actors. I, I just recently just filmed a, a show uh, about a week ago. Uh, and uh, it's called Six Thirty. I think it's called Lessons in Chemistry. Don't don't tell anybody I said that. Oh, okay, I'm being super super cautious about it, uh, which is silly, I think. But nonetheless, Brie Larson, who's Captain Marvel, was the star of it. But one of the other guys, and it was Bo Bridges, <laughs> and, oh. and Bo was one of the early early in his career was uh, a guest actor, and we were just talking about all of the the amazing actors that were, you know, young guys in their early careers that, that did episodes. And, you know, the list included Martin Sheen and Tom Skerritt, um, you know, Seymour Casal, Ryan O'Neill, uh, you know, the list went on at Begley, at Begley Jr., at Begley Sr., um, and, and Bo, um, you know, and he was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was, that was one of the first ones I ever did. So, um, yeah, you know it, it's it's amazing. Jodie Foster was a recurring character on My Three Sons. It uh, you know had quite a quite a cast in addition to the regulars. Well, and folks, we've only just begun dropping names, just so you know. So be prepared. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I you mentioned Bo Bridges, and I think brothers. Sure. Um, and of course, I think you of you and Stanley. And I just finished reading the book The Boys um, uh-huh. about Ron and Clint Howard. They're their oh, journey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Loved it, by the way. Um, Is it? Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm tempted. I'm a little jealous of Ron's fantastic career. <laughs> and it, and, but I'm going, I would probably really relate to this and, and, and enjoy it. Uh, but uh, yes, you know, I, I knew Ron casually. You know, we kind of would all show up at sometimes in a charity event or something. I, I didn't know him that well. And, and uh, but, you know, he's had a fabulous career for sure. Well, and and like you, didn't really get bogged down by the trappings. Yeah, and I, I guess you know. I mean, I, I probably would find that out in the book, but I think his his parents kept it pretty real for them at home, and uh, yeah, that's that's part of it. I think you know, if you're living in this other bizarre fantasy world of uh, being a child actor, and then. Uh, you know, it's really important on your of your parents to make sure you're still just being treated like a kid. Uh, and I think probably Rance, who was, you know, Ron and Clint's dad, I think he probably made sure that happened. Oh, absolutely. I I often thought of it as rather than a book about the Howard brothers, but more a book on parenting. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I mean, did, was it first person? Was it interviews with the guys or did somebody just kind of yes. research it? They composed it and they go back and forth in their accounts of different things. And really, again, what it all comes down to is how overwhelming, as you know, um, that type of fame for such a young person can be. And you know, how fortunate they were to have parents that really nurtured them, protected them, but not overprotected. You know, it's like, hey, this is real. This is how it happens. And they were never talked down to, you know. That's a good lesson for every parent. But, you know, it's obviously everything's exaggerated when you're when you're a kid who's on a television show. It, you know, everything just gets bent out of shape. So, you know, but they were lucky. Their dad was an actor and kind of understood some of the pitfalls. So, you know, yeah, it worked for them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And did you, as a, as a young, I'm going to say it, star, were you over ever really overwhelmed by fan events or situations where people were just thrusting papers in your face saying, sign it, sign it, sign it? And his Ron Howard's thing was that was happening to me and I couldn't even write yet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it was in, probably like Ron probably benefited from having a brother who sort of was sharing this, the same experience because uh, Stan was older than me. So, I, you know, he sort of really got probably more of the attention than I did because he was more of a heartthrob, you know, tiger beat material, fan magazine stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it helped when it became a little bit you know, crazy. But, but well, honestly, you know, we lived in L.A., People just, you know, look at you once and look at you twice and go, oh, it's that guy. Most times people were not going to come up and harass you or bug you. If they did, 99.9% of the time people are very polite and happy to see you. And it was very sweet. So, um, yeah, everybody's got a different experience. Ours was really good. Oh, that's great. And it sounds like it. It sounds like you were very approachable, too, which is you know, and, I, and my parents made sure I went back to public school too. So that was I was not in the Hollywood professional school, which for a lot of child kid child stars, when you weren't shooting, the parents didn't want to so you know socialize them or get to expose them to the to the uh, what the perils of public school. My parents uh, threw me into the deep end and said, you know, figure it out and you know learn to swim or run or whatever you got to do. Fight, fight your uh, way out, right? <laughs> And uh, so I, I, yeah, I think it was a you know a little bit painful at the time, but but extremely helpful in, in making you a fully grounded person that you had the experience that your peers did. That's I think kind of what, what might be missing in some child actors who who didn't have that that they didn't uh, you know they didn't experience childhood in the way that you should you know without. Um, no, all, all of the dating rituals that, and the rejections and the attempts to connect with people. And, uh, you know, those are all real valuable life experiences that you need as you get as an adult. So a lot of those kids, just, you know, went to there was a place called the Hollywood Professional School for kids who were on on TV series. And, you know, it was a place that they could go and not be harangued and you know there'd be a bunch of other pampered child stars there with them so you know i don't think that was a good idea right right well and then of course there's the typecasting curse that a lot of them had to face yeah and, i mean when i think of you and your career and look at your career it doesn't seem like you were very affected by that would you agree i was really kind of maybe fortuitous in that when i the show ended when i was 18 and uh, and I and I did wear corrective lenses, um, you know, but I glasses. So I, you know, I, I kind of thought well, I can get away with working without these, and it did give me a different kind of look. So it kind of took the nerdy thing down a notch or two. And uh, I was very lucky in that I think the first job I got after my three sons, because my parents prepared me for the worst, and you know, we're going, it's a tough world after you're famous and, and you're a child star. So, you know, just know that. And, and you know, it may continue. More likely it won't. But for me, I was very soon out. I did, the, there was a musical that was on Broadway called Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. Right. And I got cast as Linus. And then I got cast as Linus in, uh, 
in the Hallmark Hall of Fame, which was a very big deal back in the day. Uh, they filmed the whole play, the musical. And so very quickly I jumped into something that was a, you know, a real challenging role for me. I had to sing and dance and do a, you know, play a cartoon character. You know, it was, it was uh, way different than doing Ernie for all those years. So, you know, it gave me some some confidence that maybe there was a, a future. And and then again, I, I very kind of segued into a lot of really nice jobs. Another series called Sons and Daughters for CBS and uh, did all the show Ironside and Streets of San Francisco and Room 222. So, I, you know, I suddenly went, hmm, you know, maybe there's a career after my three sons. And uh, here I am, you know, 50 years later. <laughs> well, you did something right. And it's obvious the talent pulled you through that um well and my parents were very adamant about me again we're talking about parents i guess here in this episode but they were very adamant about if you're gonna do it <clears throat> do it right and you study and work with good people and maybe even go back to college and get a more rounded education in life not just about acting and i did all of those things studied with martin landau who's you know really an acclaimed great actor great teacher <laughs> yes a um, few other people and jack garfine and then i enrolled in ucla and you know but again jobs kept pulling me away and i never really got terribly terribly into my my uh, university learning uh, but i attempted it uh, but you know i, I just kind of rolled with it and just whatever came along if it was good enough i'd go well i, I think i should do this and you know, and I would get, leave school. And so, yeah, it, you know, it, it was an interesting period right after Sons, but I was lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, isn't that interesting? I mean, you go to college to learn a trade and a career, but unfortunately, it was your career that kept pulling you out of college. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's so true. I, I did have something going on. And, uh, but then, you know, my, my education was, uh, and I learned this from a, a from a, a very famous child star of his era, a guy named Roddy McDowell. Yeah. And Roddy Roddy was a famous in the forties and the fifties at MGM. And oh, yeah. but he was a fantastic actor. You know, if you see any of the Planet of the Apes movies, of or yeah, a fantastic actor. But we did a, a, a TV movie called The Elevator, and uh, it was around the time I was still trying to figure it out. And I said, "What, you, what did you do?" You know, he. Because he was already a very acclaimed adult actor at that point. And he said, I went to New York. You should go to New York and, and experience New York, experience a whole other world than Studio City, which is where I grew up in L.A., uh, and try to get work there. And lo and behold, I I decided to do that and uh, was very lucky. And the first week I was there, I got a job in one of the biggest Broadway productions of the year of The Skin of Our Teeth that Kennedy Center was producing. And... Boom! You know, there you go. I, I right place, right time, and um, and I lived in New York for two or three years. Um, so you know, that was formative. It was a good experience. Oh, I'll bet. And, and the question, of course, comes into my head: which which did you prefer, stage or camera? Um, yeah, you know, they're both, and it's apples or oranges. It's one is one is a uh, they're both acting, but one is an immediate audience response, which is lovely, and the whole rhythm that you get into when you're doing a play is different than being on a set at seven in the morning and working till six at night. And, you know, your whole day uh, when you're doing a play, is kind of thinking about got to get to the theater at seven o'clock and curtains at eight, but you got your whole day to do stuff. And, but you know, you're, you, and then you do the play for three hours and then it's off to the bars with your buddies. Uh, you know, it, it's a totally different animal, but, but related. 
So um, I would, you know, forced to choose one or the other. If I could make a living, you know, really a good, fairly decent living, I would probably choose stage because it is a gas. It's it's an awful lot of fun. Uh, and, and, you know, working on a film or television show is satisfying and pays well, but, you know, it, it's, it can be kind of boring and kind of a, you know, it's kind of a grind, but, uh, but, you know, that, that said, it's a, it's a beautiful grind. So I'm, I'm happy to do either. Sure, sure. Not the hurry up and wait that, you know, you would get in that case, as opposed to the Broadway experience, which sounds like a blast to me, boy. Yeah, it was. And, you know, and you're, you're, you're your own man. You're, you know, once you're out of rehearsals and you're on stage, it's, it's all you and your fellow actors. When you're in a film production, it's a collaborative or television. It's, you know, he, it's it's the director's medium. The editor is going to put it together and, you know, and you do your little scene and then you're going to run off and wait around for two or three hours and come back and, you know, maybe do another scene. And so, you know, it's it's fragmented. It's not like a, a real cohesive experience that theater can be. Uh, so, yeah, you know, they're they're fun. I mean, they're both fun in their own odd ways, but uh but theater to me is really a, a blast. I, I would I would jump at the opportunity to do another play if it, you know circumstances are right. Yeah. Yeah. Well it's and again it's less time to think, you know, so you're you're just okay, I'm on. Go. Oh yeah. Yeah, you, know, you know, and when things go wrong, you're you know it's in your ballpark. So of course the the theater experience I'm sure was was wonderful as you make it sound, but of course you are the face of television. I mean, one of the iconic faces that, you know, you see a picture of Ernie, you think, my three sons, you think of the classic television. And, of course, you worked extensively. And, you know, I see in a couple of your uh, your tidbits here in your bio, <laughs> there's some pretty interesting um, experiences I'd like, to, I'd like to find. I'm a big Lucy fan. Yeah, yeah, sure. And there's a couple of things that I picked up on there. One was that William Frawley. Um, yeah. Something about bribing you or paying you guys to prank? Well, we pranked uh, Vivian. You know, from the early days of I Love Lucy, Vivian and William did not get along. And uh, so, you know, fast forward five, six years, whatever it was. And now, you know, Bill Frawley was doing My Three Sons. And Vivian was, I think, part of uh, either Here's Lucy or the Lucy show. I think it was Here's Lucy was the next. But our, our sound stage is... We shot at Desilu, which is Lucille Ball's studio, and our but the stage is actually where they shot Sons and her show were right next to each other. So Bill, uh, probably having had two or three Cuddy Sarks at lunch, <laughs> uh, you know, he would always. We were plotting this for days or weeks, accumulating these giant film canisters, which are these big metal cylindrical things that they, you know, keep film in, but they just toss them in trash cans most of the time. So we would dig dumpster dive for these, these, these trash can lid kind of things. And anyway, you know, certain day Bill would go, okay, boys, come on, this today's the day. And, you know, we'd go over and he would hold open the door to their sound stage, and, you know, and Stan and I would be standing there with these cans and, and on his signal, he would go, all right, let them rip, you know, and we'd, frisbee these things into their sound stage and and when they landed it just sounded like a bomb going off it was bang boom bang boom you know <laughs> and and he would always kind of wait till he heard vivian's voice you know they were rehearsing something and it would and he, that's when he, that was the signal to fire away 
And uh, and then he would go, okay, come on, let's get the hell out of here. Come on, come on, come on. You know, he would like run back on our sound stage and hide out. And I don't know if they ever knew what was happening or if it was it was us, but it was, you know, Bill Frawley was a, a, quite a prankster. Wow. Well, well, I guess it sounds like you got away with it, but... <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, still here. I, I saw one of the... Of course, there's the classic um, Lucy show, or was it Here's Lucy? I, yeah, I get the two kind of confused every now and then. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. When, of course, you received a haircut from Lucy, Lucy O'Ball herself. Yeah. And um, yeah. something about the shears being one of the scariest... The shears mixed with Lucy being one of the scariest things you've ever seen. <laughs> Well, it was, it's, it's, she was a formidable presence, you know, off the camera. She was nobody's fool and a taskmaster. And she, uh, you know, the story was, and I had a, a very brief recurring role before I got cast on My Three Sons on, I think it was Here's Lucy. And I was playing Gail Gordon's son. Right. Gail Gordon was Mr. Mooney, the mm-hmm. banker who worked, who Lucy worked for. Anyway, yeah, she decides she's going to show him her, you know, her ideas money and she's going to start giving haircuts and of course i was the first person she tested out the shears on and she gave me a mohawk by by accident uh anyway yeah that was that was fun to do but nonetheless leo lucy giving you giving you a mohawk was a a little bit uh, interesting experience but you know it was a wig so it was all good well, and, and I don't think you got to wear your glasses for that, too. So that made it, made it, made it a little yeah, more scary. Yeah, I see the photos of that. Maybe I took them off for the, for the, for the shearing. I don't recall if I wore them in the entire episode or not. But you're right. I wasn't when they, when they did the, you know, when she cut my hair, for sure, I was not wearing them. I think that would have made me nervous. Yeah, well, it's probably just as well I couldn't see. So it was all good. What a great memory. And I, and I know, gosh, the, <laughs> the list of of stars you've worked with is immense. And yet there's this saying that I see here, the, the good, the cruel and the beautiful. <laughs> yes, there was all those. And the, you know, I, I love that as obviously take on the good, the bad and the ugly, but <laughs> there's anything specific that made you kind of coin that phrase. I mean, without, you know, reciting no. an entire book to me, you know, I, no, I mean, again, you know, you worked in, you encounter all kinds of personalities when you're working on a show. And uh, sometimes you come on as a, a guest star and, you know, they, it's just, you're, you're there for the week. Some people are quite open and, you know, the stars of the show who are there day in day out are, you know, very welcoming and they, they understand it's kind of their job to make you feel welcome. I mean, it sounds weird because all they're there to do is an actor's job, but, but nonetheless, they're, you know, they're the point person you have to deal with. And, you know, if they're, you know, not a very good mood or kind of grumpy, you just look past it and just go, eh, whatever, you know, it's, I've had experiences on, on all counts where, you know, people have welcomed you with open arms, been very gracious, lovely people. Uh, and I've had experiences where the stars of the show or other people on the set were, just didn't have the time of day for you. And, uh, yeah, you never know, you know, they're just having a bad day themselves. So, uh, it's fine. You know, just, I'm there, I'm gone, you know, on to the next one. Right. Right. Well, of course, reputations are built and, you know, I see Jerry Lewis and I'm like, Hmm. Yeah. He was pretty manic. He was not mean, he just manic. And he was, but he was doing everything. He was directing and writing and acting and, and he just seemed like he was, he was <laughs> slightly hyper 
uh, running around doing stuff. Um, I think it's no secret that I think he he had a, a, a reliance on some uh, pills mm. to kind of keep him going, which uh, you know that's it's unfortunate. But I understand that when you got that much of a weight on your shoulder and you're you know, you got so many things to do. Uh, I guess the temptation is there to kind of lean on those things. Um, no, but he, uh, he was, you know, he was an experience for sure. Yeah. Well, you can't take away the fact that he was one of the most talented people ever, too. You know, it's that. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, no, he was huge. And he was, you know, for me to work with Jerry Lewis as a kid was like, you know, suddenly being employed by Santa Claus. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, wow, I'm like none of the elves here at the factory. So he was, uh, you know, huge, huge star, to particularly for young people when I did the the Aaron Boy is the show we're talking about, the movie. Uh, so that was extremely exciting. But then, you know, you get into the day-to-day nuts and bolts of working. He he, he wasn't being <laughs> Mr. Funny. He was being the producer and director and getting the job done. So, uh, yeah, he had a lot on his mind. Yeah. Well, then he got the job done, too, which is yes, you, you got to hand it to him. I mean, a lot of these folks that I see listed here um, in your bio, they're, they all have really good reputations of being good kind people, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I especially like the story about Paul Newman helping you with a with a line. Yeah, well, that was the very first job I ever got cast in, and I was playing Paul Newman's son, and my brother Stan, who was Chip and Mighty Sons, also got cast, so we were playing their kids. Uh, I wasn't wearing glasses when my when I was cast. I think I was four years old. That, and anyway, it was right shooting a scene where uh, Paul comes in the front door and we're his kids and we're sitting there watch, supposed to be watching the television and just ignore him no matter what he says. Hi, boys. And we just ignore him. And anyway, the director kept kept cutting because he kept yelling at me that he thought I was not looking at the television. He's, you know, from the angle where he was sitting and the camera, it looked like I was looking off to the side somewhere. And he, you know, that didn't work. He wanted us just focused on whatever we were watching, supposedly some cartoon or something. But anyway, that, so, you know, he, a guy named Leo McCary, who was a old time director, screamer, you know, directed Duck Soup for the Marx Brothers. He'd been around forever. So I, he was getting more and more frustrated. And then Paul sort of, you know, being the star has, has something to say in some of these issues. And he says, hey, you know, come on, let, take it easy. The kid's like, you know, just a little guy here. And he says, look, you got the, the establishing shot. You saw, saw me walk in the door. Let's just get a close up of the kids, you know, and uh, somebody get me a puppet. I'll get in, you know, I'll get in this because, you know, it was an old 1950s television, as big as a crate. You know, and so he climbed in it and the television empty box. There's no real TV in there. And yeah, was trying to get my attention. But as it turned out, they realized I was looking. I was looking as hard as I could look, but my eyes were starting to cross. And uh, again, this is before I had glasses. And so Paul Newman basically was your first uh, experience with classic TV. Yes, he, he was. He was a great uh star you know he had just emerged as a as a big superstar and this is what would that be the late 50s so uh you know and he was working with his wife joanne woodward and in rally around the flag boys was the name of the movie and uh yeah you know i I probably knew who he was at that point i mean you know i knew what was going on already Uh, but yeah it was it was a (laughs) it was a real welcome to hollywood kind of moment when they fired me because they 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 didn't like the fact that I had to wear glasses because my eyes started to suddenly turn in while I was working. So, um, yeah, the producers let me go. 
but it was a good lesson, you know, welcome to Hollywood. So, uh, enough about TV, you're a musician, and I'm a musician, and I, uh-huh. I just, I've been watching some of your stuff, and I, I hadn't realized that that was one of your talents. They, so, Elvis talked you into being a musician, is what you're saying, right? <laughs> well, Elvis, the fact that Elvis was a, an influence on me, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I did meet the man once in a very kind of chance encounter, took a limo ride with him, which was interesting. Uh, by accident, he was on the on the lot filming one of his movies, and I was doing a movie with Debbie Reynolds called My Six Loves, and saw him out. You know, I, I mean, I looked at his limousine, which they had just brought by to, for him to check out. It was just customized, and he popped out of the soundstage. And anyway, he said, uh, "Hey, you know," I just figured it out recently. I just I never kind of I was like, it's kind of weird. You know, saw a little kid ask him to go for a ride, but he he must have known me from the Ozzy and Harriet show. It's strange. I, I was talking to Sam Nelson, who's one of Rick's kids uh, when we become pals. And I was saying, you know, I just figured it out. Because it, it, you tell people that, and they immediately go, oh, that's kind of pervy. What is he, Michael Jackson, little boys going for the little... No, he, he, was, he was a big fan of the Ozzy and Harriet show. I did 16 episodes. I'm sure he looked down. He goes, oh, it's that little kid from the Ozzy and Harriet show. He's an actor. Well, anyway, that was that story. But as a musician, my wife and I have a little band we we just actually did our first gig post post uh, covid yeah we like playing you know write songs playing i play guitar she's a great singer so uh, we, that's wonderful yeah so I, I like your songs too and your finger picking is very very accomplished thank you so much <laughs> yeah, um so is there anything you'd like to plug before we wrap this up i i wanted to talk a bit about uh, notorious nick and my- yeah yeah i did a movie last year came out last year uh, you know, sadly, the height of COVID when nobody was going to movie theaters anymore. But you can find it on Amazon or, or Voodoo or DirecTV called a little film called Notorious Nick. And I, I think it's some of the best work I've ever done. And the film itself, I think, came out really, really cool. It's about a guy, true story about a guy who was a one-armed mixed martial arts fighter. He, he was born with a congenital defect. His name was Nick Newell. Notorious Nick was his stage name. But he went on to win the world championship, you know, in his weight, weight class. Uh, he still fights, Nick Newell. Uh, but it's his story, you know, overcoming all of the obstacles that, you know, clearly somebody who has, uh, you know, a handicap, a disability of, you know, only one good arm. But, you know, to to even attempt to become a mixed martial arts fighter and then succeed at the level he did. And I played his actually high school wrestling coach. And uh, then eventually his trainer, when he went on to win his, uh, you know, the uh, MMA uh, championship. So um, it's a great story, you know, and hopefully people will find it. Well, absolutely. And I'll put the I'll put that out there. What what I saw of it, you you were fantastic. And um, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if he's a fan of MMA. I did not know much about it. I mean, I'd seen it, obviously, just the kids and whatever, turn it on and watch it and go, well, it's brutal as can be, you know. It's, uh, but, uh, but then, you know, once I got the part, I, I had to get more into it. A friend of mine uh, introduced me to a wrestling coach at a high school out here, and I went and watched him kind of work with the kids, and I went to a bunch of MMA live bouts and watched that whole uh thing kind of come down and and so you know did, did all the actor things that you try to do to prepare for a role so yeah it was um 
it came out really well. I think it's it's um, you know a very inspiring story about never giving up a dream and and clearly he had you know tremendous obstacles to overcome, uh, but he did. And and uh, my character you know is is part of that story. So I was really excited to get something different than what I sometimes do, which is lawyers or doctors or accountants. Uh, you know, it was really an opportunity, and I jumped at it, and I think it came out really well. Yes. Yeah. What I saw of it, it's amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing the whole thing. And what a legacy. You've really done it, Barry, and, I, and I'm very impressed, like millions of other people. <laughs> and, you know, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. And I want to thank you again for joining me. Is there a social media? No, uh, just Facebook. I mean, I'm open. I don't, I don't restrict it to anybody or it's open to the world. So, um, yeah, just to Barry Livingston, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, I'm on all those things. But, uh, yeah, those, I don't have a website or anything. So, you know, if they, uh, those are the places that they can follow what I do in my real life as well as my professional. Great. And, of course, the book, The Importance of Being Ernie, is available on Amazon. And I'll leave links to all of what Barry's been talking about in the description. I want to thank you again, Barry Livingston. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, thank you for having me on, and uh, we'll see you further down the road. Yes, we will, sir. There you have it, another Retro TV Trivia episode in the books. Remember to check out Barry Livingston's most recent film, Notorious Nick, also his best-selling memoirs, The Importance of Being Ernie, which is available on Amazon. If you haven't already, please take the time to subscribe, and if so inclined, give me a positive rating and review, or simply share it with everyone you know. Until next time, I'm your host, Pat McCormack, and thanks for listening to Retro TV Trivia. Retro TV Trivia.